This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. That's not important. Not important right now. Before, But before we get too far into today's show, I'm happy to say this show is sponsored by Pattern. And I'll talk more about them later on the show. But first, with me today are my fabulous co-hosts, the fancy one, Aline Sanduk. Hi. The tough one, Caitlin Madison. Hello. The sporty one, Morgan Kennedy. Hello, everyone. And the zesty one, Emerald Dolman. Hey there. Uh, Those are all references to Spice Girls. I don't know if that comes across, (laughs) so I thought I would just call it out uh, specifically. Have you thought that was all? It's what was that? Oh, I was just gonna say it's clear from what I'm wearing that you did not modify your assignments in real time. There's nothing <laughs> that sweatshirt fancy about me. Right that now. sweatshirt is fancy as hell. <laughs> you know what is fancy? Yeah. So no one knows this about me, but I like to collect uh, vintage dinner plates. Oh. So this is actually a very fancy. You plate. are fancy. <laughs> You. <laughs> no one would think that I was into floral patterns on porcelain plates. I wouldn't have Shame. guessed it. No, no. That's very. That's very. Uh, that's very grandma of you. I like it. <laughs> uh, and if you thought that was all that's in the studio, or <laughs> if you thought that was all of the people joining me via the internet today, how very and unfortunately wrong you are, because we also have with us a special guest, M4 Lucy Howard. Hello, Lucy. Hi guys. Uh, Lucy, uh, you, uh, you're, you're headed off to uh, uh, Connecticut to do a residency in what? Uh, OBGYN. Okay. All right. So that's bad. Nice. And, and, and I asked you here today uh, because you're about to graduate with teaching distinction. I was very, I was very intrigued to hear that your project was to create a curriculum to address shame and medical student identity. Um, and, and you did your project so well that apparently CECOM is looking to add it to the topics in our curriculum, which if you know anything about curriculum design in medical school, you know that um, there's very little room for uh, what you might call extra stuff. And so for, for whatever reason, we feel strongly enough about this to actually shoehorn it into all the other stuff that we do. Um, so congratulations on uh, making that that impact. Thank you. So what was the problem you were trying to solve here? Yeah, so I guess kind of thinking about how this came about, um, I was, so I took a year off of medical school last year and I did a master's in public health at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Um, And that really just allowed me to kind of step back and think about what my medical school experience had been like, um, what could be different, what could be better and how change could happen. Um, and I had come back to Iowa City and I was talking to Robin Paisold, who is our global programs director, um, as well as Kate Dachari, um, who is our communities director, and just talking about how like the medical school experience is so different and so niche and unique, um, I think, in the grand scheme of all these different experiences that we have as individuals. 
Um, and we realized that um, there is this like huge component of identity um, and really like how do people define who they are and what they're bringing into med school? And then how does that kind of align or not align uh, with what they feel is like this ideal med student or what are the characteristics that somebody should like really have to be the perfect med student? Um, and personally, I'm a first generation college student. Nobody else in my family has been to college. My dad is a blue collar worker. Uh, he worked in the manufacturer at John Deere's in Waterloo and my mom is kicked decorated at Target. And so when I was coming into medical school, I very much felt like I just didn't really fit. Like the idea of who I was and my experiences and what I was bringing, being from a rural, low-income family, were very different than the people who I was seeing around me. Uh, and because of that, I think I carried a lot of like shame and feeling that I was different from what a good medical student could be. And I my experience was not that of a good medical student. So could I be a good medical student? Uh, and as I went through my first couple of years of med school, uh, I realized that a lot of other people were having these same experiences and we just weren't talking about them. Um, and maybe it was maybe not something that they, uh, you know, it's not that same identity that I had, but maybe it was something about them that they felt was like different or unique or didn't quite fit with what a good med student should be. And so, I'm um, thinking about kind of how to uh, address that. Um, I thought, why not do something where we like bring those conversations to the classroom um, and make sure that these are things that we're starting to talk about in medical school instead of making them very peripheral and kind of hiding them. Um, and shame is something that really kind of puts people in a position where they want to hide it or like go to the corner and not think about it. Um, and so kind of helping students do that, I think was really important. So that kind of sprung into um, this whole project. Um, and I really didn't expect it to be something that could be implemented so quickly or something that the administration was so excited about. Um, but I was really excited to hear that that's something they want to take forward and make sure it's actually happening next year. So, uh, all right. So let's talk about those aspects of your project and, and what you're trying to accomplish. First of all, medical student identity. Um, and you addressed some That's of this, I think, already um, as, you know, like, so, but, but, but what are some, what, what do you guys think are some components of medical student identity uh, or the identity of medical student that Perfection. are problematic? I didn't even give you a chance to finish. Perfection yeah. is a big one. Yeah. Everyone thinks they should be perfect to get perfect grades and be a volunteer and be an athlete on top of like kind of an insane amount of coursework. Be so, an athlete. I mean, yeah, like a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people come into college and then med school, like having been athletes, like at, and you know, at the high school level and then like at certain division levels in college. Um, and they feel like I've, I've heard a couple of people say they feel bad that they can't maintain that level of commitment to their sport when they go to med school. But like med school is like, it's not even a full-time job. It's like two full-time jobs back to back. So, but you know, like, sorry, I was just gonna add, like adding to the concept of identity. Like if being an athlete is something you've been doing a long time and is a, a core part of your identity, then not doing that feels like this big pillar has been 
pulled out from under you, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting you bring that up, Elaine, because um, there, I think there's a lot of shame also around like not being like a fit or like a a healthy person in medical school. Yeah. Um, Because that's all we talk about all the time is how to be healthy and we're learning how to help people be healthy and then feeling like you don't really like fit that. Um, I think there's a lot of shame even around like body shape and structure and just like what you look like as a person in medicine as well. 100%. Yeah, I've actually seen that. Um, in the clinic and not in an overt way, but like, yeah, a lot of shaming of like physicians who don't look like football players or, you know, like, like perfect athletic appearances. So that's so spot on. Yeah. What other aspects of identity have you guys noticed about yourselves? I think comparison is a really easy trap to fall into when you're, when you're trying to navigate a new and unknown kind of environment you're, you're kind of looking to others to see what they're doing or how they're doing. Am I doing this right? And so you're not really focusing on yourself and how you're fitting into the environment. You're, you're looking outward as much, if not more than you're looking inward and comparing yourself to others. So for instance, like grades, like, oh, so-and-so says they, they didn't even try on that test and they did really well. <laughs> yeah, it can be something like grades. It can be something like involvement. It can be something like study habits. It really can be pretty pervasive, especially I feel like in this first time of transition into med school. Morgan, I, I heard, really... uh, speaking of which, I, I heard that you, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, convinced Emerald and Caitlin to join the show today because you are the super involvement person. Among I sorry, did. Morgan. She, I sure did. Yeah. She gave you. Gonna... She gave you right the fuck up. <laughs> Aren't you I'm guys glad sure. you're here? Yeah, I'm pretty sure how I explained it was that Morgan should be the face of Carver because she is involved in every single thing. If it is possible at Carver, she has done it and will do it in the future. <laughs> I think that, I don't know, that's just interesting because I think that a lot of people look at that and think that they should be more involved. But I think I feel it like on a very real level all the time because being involved is kind of my thing. Like that's like what I did before this. That's who I am as a person. That's what like makes me be able to get through these weeks of exams after exam. And I definitely sacrifice things in the realm of like studying and knowing everything that I will know for an exam. And so I'm always having that, like, I don't know, shameful, I guess, identity of um, comparing myself to other people and how they're doing and how they feel about an exam. And so I feel this on a constant basis. And I'm sure that, you know, everyone feels it to some extent, um, no matter what, what area they're looking at, because no one can do it all basically, but there's this identity that you're supposed to do it all. And I think that that's really kind of morphed into this like very interesting ideal of a medical student. I think before it was like perfectionism and intelligence and good grades and a good MCAT score before you got in um, and good exam scores and step scores. And now it's become this like that you not only have to have all those aspects, but you have to do research and you have to be really involved and you have to have saved children somewhere in the world. Like it's, it's just getting ridiculous. And you also have to have like these crazy other interests and be able to play the guitar. And I think like (laughs) us three, we've like talked about it. We like sit in these learning communities with our peers who are so wonderful and amazing. And we're just like, we feel like we're not very interesting compared to them. Like being interesting is now like a requirement. So like it just, you're right, Emerald. It's like so pervasive. 
positive in, in everything you do. And, and part of that comes from just, you know, even preparing to go to med school, right? I mean, you're, mm -hmm. oh yeah. You know, like your, your, your application has to, has to somehow convey this magical person that you are that, that med schools want real bad. Um, and so that gets into the box checking behavior that, um, mm -hmm. we always say that is not great. Um, you know, that you should do that. Any activity you do, you, you do should be because you want to do it, you know? Um, but what if you're just not sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's fine. I'm 50 years old. I still don't want to know what I want to do for a living. Things, you know, like, um, no, these are all, these are all great. Um, and, and, you know, the funny thing about some of these comparisons that we're talking about that we make with other people and that schools are making, um, when they decide whether or not to, you know, admit someone and when uh, pre-meds are making, when they decide what their application should look like, um, a lot of times they're not even valid comparisons, I think. They're just comparisons that we're generating in our head. For instance, when Emerald talked about looking around and seeing you know, and comparing ourselves to our peers, um, you know, that's totally, I think that's totally unnecessary because you don't know what kind of horror is going on inside that person, right? You just look at them on the outside and you see, um, you know, somebody who seems to have it all together, but inside they're like a seething cauldron of, of crazy um, <laughs> as, they, as they try to do the best they can in this yep. environment. I actually got to read one of the articles that Lucy is putting as proposed to put into this curriculum and it reminds me of an analogy that they use like the duck floating on the water right the duck yeah. on the surface is just chill but underneath the water that duck is kicking like crazy just to keep keep going and i do definitely feel, see how that could apply to yeah. what we're talking about now and we're so good at that just like constantly looking like unflappable and just like walking mm -hmm. out of an exam and you know you bombed it but walking down the hallway like this is cool i'm fine it's all good. And then, you know, whether or not you disclose that to somebody really comes down to like, are you willing to like reveal this vulnerability or like this weakness? Yeah. And it's not, a, I mean, it's not necessarily a weakness even, I think. Right. Exactly. I mean, failure is part of this, part of this process. I mean, if you never failed, you don't learn anything. You've already, you already knew it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. And yet. I don't know who's. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I heard a saying recently that I thought was so insightful. So like speaking to the thing we're talking about now, which is that trees need wind to grow. Yeah. Like you need adversity to grow to your fullest potential. Otherwise, like trees will literally die in the absence of wind because wind generates some kind of physical pressure that like provokes, you know, deep, you know, root growth and like, you know, branching and things like that. So I think that's applicable in real life. Like you can't learn how to get back up if you don't get pushed down. I mean, the point is to not get pushed down so hard that you, you know, are broken and you can't get back up. But adversity is character building. On the other hand, um, you know, part of the, you know, what, what role do, does the, um, does the, does the current curriculum, do you think Lucy play in shaming people? Um, so I think, so I think Carver does a lot of things that actually kind of move towards, you know, not shaming. And I think that's really good that we don't um, like publicly advertise where people are within class rankings. And we um, do a lot to just make sure that everyone feels like they're putting in the work and learning a lot. Um, but I do think that, you know, coming away with 
I guess, you know, naturally we are, even though we don't have like public rankings, we know we have to honor, we have to mirror honor, we have to pass a class. Um, And so that's a way of kind of comparing you against others. Um, And then really, I think there's kind of two two aspects to like the shame you experience in medical school. Um, And part of that is our preclinical work. And then it really shifts when you get into clinical work. Um, And I know there is a lot of literature about kind of the interactions that we have with attending physicians, with residents, um, and how is shame utilized in learning? And is this positive or negative? Um, And I think that a lot of the instructors here get um, education on like how they should be interacting with us um, in a clinical setting, but it doesn't always play into um, really what your interactions are with people in the hospital, usually, you know, the instructors. Yeah, because, uh, you know, for better or for worse, uh, the the college doesn't control every aspect of the clinical experience. Um, and so, you know, sometimes people are kind of negative about their feedback. I mean, I think it's very easy to be negative in feedback and, and to try to motivate out of um, shame. Right. And shame, I mean, shame is like a motivating factor. Um, It definitely makes somebody try to do better next time. Um, But I think what I've run into a lot in doing some research in this uh, is that there's a difference between guilt and there's a difference. So a difference between guilt and a shame. Um, And so, you know, if you do something that maybe you shouldn't have done or could have done differently uh, and feel guilty about it, like that's okay because you know that you can learn from it and do something differently the next time. But if you feel shameful about it, you take that and internalize it and say, like, I didn't do this because I could do better. I did this because I am a bad person. Like, I'm a bad student. I'm a bad uh, caretaker. I'm a bad student doctor. Like, this is because there's something inherently wrong with me that I made this mistake. Um, And so when somebody feels guilty about something, that really pushes them to like grow and learn. But if something feels shameful about something, it pushes them to kind of regress and just kind of go inside of themselves and not want to have those experiences again. Mm. So what does your what what are you, what are your thoughts on how to um, alleviate that problem? Uh, specifically, like in the clinical world, or yeah, like let's overall? go. Let, I mean, I think we could talk about overall and then maybe um, move to specifics in clinic. How about that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess. I feel like I don't think that we're necessarily going to change how we are really, uh, you know, like the feedback we're getting from the world around us in a quick way. Yeah, Um, that's going to be a slow process, right? Right, right. And so I think it's a little more about like at this point, how do we react to that? Um, And so I think that, uh, you know, some of the work by Brene Brown um, on vulnerability and shame is just wonderful. She's Um, coming up an awful lot lately. (laughs) Hearing her name recently. I feel like I have never heard her name before this week, this semester. And all of a sudden I'm hearing it often. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She has some great work and things she talks about um, are like speaking shame. And so talking about it, acknowledging that this is something you're feeling um, and bringing that up to other people. And so maybe you feel shame about... Um, your performance or an interaction you had with somebody, whether that be a classmate or a patient, um, but being able to find like a trusted source, whether that be somebody who's in medicine or somebody outside of medicine and just talk about that experience. It's so hard to talk about feelings that you are. Uh, And I think that hearing people uh, who are in positions um, 
you know, who are in charge of us or who are people that we look up to and want to be more like talk about these things can be really powerful Mm -hmm. uh, and help us kind of deal with that ourselves. Yeah. I just wanted to say I was really impressed and excited about um, your goal to have like physicians come in and talk about their experiences with shame um, to students. I think that in some of the small groups that we have at Carver where um, physicians lead these groups, a couple of times I've had different physicians kind of bring these things up to us um, and their experiences. And that has been some of the, like the most impactful um, moments that I've had in medical school, I think, because you really do idolize these people um, and it'll be like a surgeon and you think, you know, well, I could only become a surgeon if I get honors in every class and I do everything right and I never fail anything. And then when you hear someone like that share their experience, um, it's really impactful as a first year student, I think. So I think that that's a really good way to integrate that into the curriculum. It's funny, you don't, I mean, when you look at at anybody who's good at their work, right, you never see all of the stuff that went into that um, until they actually make a a point of showing you um, that stuff. Because it's, I mean, of necessity, it's invisible. Um, That's a big, yeah, I was going to say that's a big problem in research. I think that's getting a lot better now. There's a lot of like very, very famous, very high profile scientists that are coming out now and like publicly announcing when they retract a paper or, you know, if they can't reproduce data and don't really, you know, don't agree with the finding that they publish, they're not like, you know, surreptitiously pulling it from the bookshelves and then never talk. Like there are people who announce it on Twitter saying like, hey, I just want to let everyone know we decided to retract this paper. So if you're doing any work, you know, with this as the rationale, please be aware that we you know, couldn't reproduce it. And it's it's the right thing to do. It saves money. It saves lives. It's important. Yeah, that's a good that's a really good point, because we've been talking about this from the point of view of medical school. But research is a pretty strong component of medical school and, and what and the information that we need or a that you lot need of to failure be a good doctor. So in research. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say failure. It's just. Well, that's yeah. It's a weird. I, you know, I was going to say, like, it's not you're not when experiments don't work. It's not that they're not working. It's just that they didn't prove the hypothesis you set out to prove it like the data are telling you something different but like there are a lot of experiments like a lot of things that you think are happening and it turns out it's not that at all and you have to go through like multiple rounds of hypotheses before you find the right story yeah um but again like speaking to everyone's point that like not everyone tells you like well i tried 10 different mechanisms and it's the 11th one that worked but you don't see the other 10 you just see the the beautiful sparkly paper wrapped up with a nice little bow you don't see the other stuff so you don't see like the pile of lab notebooks full of you know data no one's ever going to use so (laughs) well also i mean you know you're you're kind of also talking about um how you frame um how you frame the the discussion internally right around what happened so yes it's not failure it's something else lucy do you have any uh, thoughts about you know self-talk and 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 how that works yeah yeah so i think i think it's second nature almost for med students to um just kind of have this immense internal pressure to like always do our best um, every once in a while, I run into this little, like, I not a meme, but a photo online that um, says, like, study hard now because someday, like, you are going to be the only thing standing between your patient and death. Oh, jeez. Um, 
<laughs> I know. It's, and it's, it's just an incredible amount of pressure. Um, and I think that that leads to us feeling like shame for not studying all the time. That's why when we're not staying up all night, we feel guilty for, uh, or guilty or shameful for just like taking time for ourselves. Um, because there's this constant, just like pressure from all these different angles. Um, and I think like, at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that like we're just human. We're out here trying to do our best. Um, and I know that there is a lot of um, internal pressure. There's pressure. There's like social pressure for our doctors to be infallible and always have the right answer. Um, and I think we just have to acknowledge that um, and say, but like, I'm doing my best, um, you know, and if I've been in clinical situations where um, maybe somebody is pushing me a little bit on different questions and I walk away and I'm my immediate reaction is, oh, my God, like I just I should do better. I should be a better student, a better person. Like I should know these things. Um, but like a little bit of self-talk saying like, hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can. Like I have all these different things going on in my life. I'm taking the time I can to do this right now. Um, and now like, this is how I can move forward and learn and like address this later. This isn't like a problem with who I am though. Like this is just um, something I came up against because I didn't have this specific piece of information. Well, that's an interesting point because I mean, right now we're seeing a massive demonstration in medicine on what it's like to be wrong. <laughs> and how you should think about that. I mean, with, with uh, the current uh, pandemic, doctors have learned a lot that they did not know about um, this novel coronavirus. And at first, they, we weren't doing, you guys, I mean, they weren't doing all that well. You know, like people were literally dying because we didn't know what we were doing. We. Well, you know, we. hang on. The royal we. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that it's it's not that people didn't know what they were doing we're dealing with a completely new thing that, well like, that's what i'm we've saying never seen before yeah that's right? what i'm saying but i i think like speaking to the point that lucy is making is that like this wasn't a personal failure on our part it's just like nature is really good at its job of you know ensuring the 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 death of organisms so that we don't overrun the planet right and it did a really good job this time but <laughs> but yeah you're right i mean having to learn on the fly and i think there's you know actually your project lucy is so timely because there's a lot of physician guilt right now a lot of people feeling bad that their colleagues are passing away from exposure that they're like a lot of survivor guilt a lot of um a lot of shame about like prioritizing you know, literally rest and self-care over, you know, working a 24 hour shift versus like a 20 hour shift. But I, I do agree with your point. I just let's go easy on ourselves. Like this is the, these are unprecedented times. And if people yeah. are dying, it's not because we're not doing a good job. But well, I, that's, yeah, that's the point I was trying to make and that you made better than me. But uh, <laughs> but but basically that, yeah, um, it would be easy to maybe it would be easy to 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 feel badly about, you know, as a physician, to feel badly about ourselves. Why do I, why do I always talk like I'm a doctor? Anyway, <laughs> the, it would, it would, let's pretend I'm a doctor. It would be, it would be easy to feel badly about um, the impact we were having in this very serious situation. But self-talk, the, the right thing to say to ourselves is, I don't know exactly where this is going and I'm learning as I go and we're all doing that. And, um, that means yep. that a certain amount of time we're going to be, we're going to be wrong right now. Um, anyway, I had a, I had a really fabulous physician that I worked with, uh, as a scribe prior to coming to medical school. 
And when I, I can't remember what topic specifically we were talking about, but she made this point that I've carried with me um, that you're just doing the best with the information you have at a given right. amount of time. You don't know what information is going to come down the road, you know, in the case of this very specific situation, you know, even in a day, the situation, the information you have at your disposal is different than what you had yesterday. But the decisions you made the day before are still the best you can with the information you have. And that's really all we can ask for. You guys are so I much more eloquent than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting to kind of going off of that is that when you think about trying to do the best you can, you always try to think about medicine being a team sport. There's always going to be somebody who knows more than you. And that's a great thing because that means a, you get to learn more from that person and B you can, you constantly get to contribute more to the knowledge of medicine that way. So I think that's a way that both doctors and students always have to change their mentality. And maybe that's part of changing the identity as well. Part of being a student and being a medical student is just recognizing that we don't know everything yet, or maybe we never will, but there is a great thing about medicine that we can all work together in order to accomplish something. Totally. You no, know, I was actually, I was going to say the same thing, Caitlin, that like, it's easy to walk away from an interaction that doesn't go well, feeling like you didn't do a good job, but like, we're never going to be alone. Like you're never going to be in the wild with one patient and just you and no one else around. Like there's always going to be someone else there that you can like bounce ideas off of or who can, who know, you know, more than you or someone who knows less than you that like in the process of teaching them, you figure out a new thing to try. So I think that that's a big shift, I think, in medical training over the last couple of years that like people are moving away from like, I have to be perfect on my own all the time to like, oh, I'm part of a team. Like I'm part of a safety net. So I'm still going to try, but no one is going to be harmed because there's always going to be other people around, mm. which is good. On the other hand, like uh, Lucy said, you always got to remember that there are people who were trained the old way and uh, <laughs> who might have a little trouble letting go of the, what they think is motivating. <laughs> How should you, uh, I mean, so, so, uh, so did we, let's see, did we move into the clinical, the, the clinical phase area of the discussion, Lucy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it's okay with you guys, I just want to share a story that I had, uh, yeah. clinically, yeah. um, and what really just like, uh, has come up repeatedly. Um, so I, this was a couple years ago already, I think, um, but I was working with a patient, um, and she'd had some recurrent pregnancy losses and as being a good med student, just going through getting a good history. Uh, and I used the term spontaneous abortion when I was talking to her. Uh, and you know, it was just, it was absolutely like the wrong thing to say. Uh, and I shouldn't have done it and could have done better. Um, but I came out of that interaction, um, and I felt shame on so many different levels. Um, I felt shame because I had hurt another person unintentionally, but you know, she like took that with her and it was really painful to hear that, hear me say that term. Um, and I felt shame because I felt like that made me a, a bad provider um, and that I shouldn't be uh, working with people in such intimate topics if I couldn't handle that and do it properly. Um, and I felt shameful because I didn't want to discuss this with any of the docs I was working with. Um, I didn't want to tell my friends about it um, because I felt like I just had done a bad thing. Like I was inherently a bad person for doing this to someone. Um, and eventually she uh, came back in and um, needed to get a surgery and she didn't want me in the, in the OR with her. 
Uh, and that was like really, really painful for me um, to just kind of say like, wow, uh, you know, I know I did this and this was wrong, but this has hurt somebody so much that they don't even want me involved in their care. Uh, and so that for me was probably, I would say definitely my most like shameful experience in medical school. Hmm. Uh, and I like came away from that. Uh, and it's, yeah, I think that's a kind of a, an important experience to highlight because it was very much just like something that happened clinically, but it was, uh, it really revolved around like me and this patient. And it wasn't that a preceptor or an attending had been involved in like caused me shame. It was really something that, uh, you know, I had kind of brought about and then experienced that shame myself. Um, and so I uh, ended up um, eventually talking uh, to one of the attending docs I was working with and they were really wonderful about it, um, very understanding and kind of said, you know, like this is something that's probably going to happen, you know, like something like this is going to happen again. Um, and it's not because you're a bad doctor, it's because you're learning as you go and, you know, you have all these like skill sets that you're working on um, and now you know this, like this is a huge learning point. Um, but moving forward, you can do something differently. But this isn't doesn't mean that you shouldn't um, go into OBGYN. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't like be here at this time helping with these patients. Um, and so that was like really huge for me. Um, it was also something that eventually I was able to uh, talk to my friends about and kind of like share that. Um, and I think you know this is something that something like this is going to happen to all of us. And maybe not in medical school. Maybe in residency. Maybe later on. Um, but we're going to unintentionally cause harm to a patient, whether that is emotional harm or physical harm. Um, and so I think that's also a huge source of shame in medicine. Um, and so, but being able to to speak about that and talk about that with people who were close to me, talk about people, uh, talk about that with people who I really look up to and value their opinion was like very, very helpful moving forward. Um, this was also something that came up repeatedly on the interview trail. Um, and so it was kind of like nice to have like this, the story that I could reflect on and think about. And it's really given me um, kind of the space to be able to talk about it with so many different people um, and kind of hear how different folks would have responded and how um, everyone can kind of relate to it and say, um, I, I've had something like this happen to and me that's before something. too. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting point because... I mean, everybody's done it. Everybody's been there. And yet we feel so badly about it as though we're a terrible person, right? Lucy, I have a follow-up question for you on that. So you said that you were able to kind of decide that you were going to talk about this with one of your attendings. How does, what does that process look like getting from, I don't want to talk to anybody about this to here's this person that I'm going to talk to about that. Can you talk more about like what that process was like? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think really what pushed me to do that was kind of this internal uh, talk I was having with myself about um, like what does this mean for me moving forward? Um, and not that I was looking for like specific answers, but like should this shape where I'm planning to go in medicine? Um, and should this like really impact um, how um, I'm planning to move forward? What I want to do with my life? Anything like that? Um, and also just kind of this like nagging, like shame and guilt that was sitting on my shoulder, just saying like, oh my gosh, how can I do better? Like, how can I be a better medical student? How can I like change moving forward? And I wanted to have like that, um, kind of that input from somebody else telling me like, Hey, like X, Y, Z, whatever they were going to say, I at least wanted like somebody else to have some insight here. Um, and especially somebody who had a lot of experience kind of in that area. 
but it was really scary. Like I was like very <laughs> nervous to go and be like, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, and I think we were like after a case and we were just sitting there and I was like, uh, you know, this happened. What do you think about it? And just kind of like being vulnerable, especially with somebody I really looked up to was really scary. What did you feel afterwards? Um, afterwards, I felt like I felt very relieved and, and a little bit validated just that like, you know, I'm, I'm glad I made the decision to talk to somebody about this. Um, and I no longer feel like this, like really like, um, just kind of like very long lasting pressure that I had been carrying around with me. Mm -hmm. How long did you sit with this? Uh, it was probably a couple of weeks, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. before the clerkship was over, but it was yeah. definitely something I wanted to address before I left. Yeah. Um, what are the, so getting back to what you created, actually, let me take a break. Uh, I need to talk about our sponsor, but we'll come and we'll come back to talk more in, uh, in a few minutes. Uh, Morgan, I don't mean to yes. be rude. I don't need to be, I don't mean to be rude. So tell me if I'm out of line, but have you ever had a disability? Man. Do you have one now? I do not. Well, good for you. Because uh, I was out of work for several months in my 20s due to illness, and I didn't have disability insurance. I won't do without it now. Hindsight's 2020. Um, but shopping for disability insurance is complicated. It takes too much time to research and understand. Uh, fortunately, the good people at Pattern simplify disability insurance for busy doctors. So they feel confident they have the right policy and that their income is protected. They do this with a simple online process that enables you to request quotes, compare your options, and buy risk-free. Now is a great time to explore training discounts for young doctors. Get started today by requesting your free quotes at patternlife.com slash partner slash shortcoat. Listeners, go check out their offerings and tell them Dave sent you. Patternlife.com slash partner slash shortcoat. Thanks, Pattern. There's got to be a less HIPAA violating or ada violating way <laughs> to pitch to sell, to sell insurance do you have a disability no you're not going to reveal that on the air for thousands of people all right well anyway <laughs> i was like is there a right That's answer for, here <laughs> morgan you don't always you're, have to get the answer right That's what I we're talking about <laughs> Yes. Your your participation does not even matter in this interaction. He was gonna he was precisely going to yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, Morgan. Maybe I could have put more to that, but you know. I now it feel shame. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you not have a disability? <laughs> I was just thinking about your story actually during the break. And uh, I'm so sure that every single person in healthcare has a story about having said, like not the wrong thing per se, but like just a certain thing that was received the wrong way by someone that you're talking to with like no ill intention on your part. Mm -hmm. And um, it's nice that you feel comfortable sharing that because I can think of, like way lower stakes situations where like no one got angry with me, but where I said absolutely the wrong thing. Um, there's an interesting link there uh, because part of the, probably among the hardest things to do as a doctor is to give up or at least for the most part, conceal the judging that, that y'all do because that is completely unproductive to the doc patient mm -hmm. doctor relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah. A, a lower stakes version of that um 
I'm going on a little long, but this is a great story. So during one of my first uh, like CAPS experiences where I was interviewing a patient, the at the end of like our experience where like it was just like a basic history, the simulated patient dinged me for not maintaining 100 percent eye contact the whole time while I was taking notes. And I was like, so so you want me to interview you like this? <laughs> like never break it. And I thought I thought I was being funny because that's literally what I did. I was like, yes, tell me like this. Is this what you want me to do? And no joke, the sim patient was like, yes, exactly. That is exactly what I want you to do. It makes me feel like you're not listening when you break eye contact. And I was like, well, this is OK. Or, sure. <laughs> I have never heard that feedback again. Rewind. I mean, look, if, if you had a doctor that was like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, never breaking eye contact, you would think that that person was a psychopath. <laughs> and I felt like a psychopath doing that, but so it's it's all to say that like every patient expects something different and wants to be treated a certain way, and they're like the thousands of people that we encounter like across our you know our entire careers. There's just no way we're gonna get it perfectly right for that person every time. So right, but you and can't get mad at someone for trying. You can't get mad at someone for yeah. continually trying to be better, right? I was just going to say, going off that, I think that regardless of if we're able to kind of implement um, this into the curriculum and have a better culture among your peers and um, like the medical school and the people that are training you, which I think is such a positive thing, like the culture of just like the general population and what they think about doctors and what they expect of doctors, I don't think will necessarily change. And so that's going to be interesting. And I don't think that that's necessarily unique to the profession of physicians. I think that a lot of people, when they go to receive a service from a professional, they expect a certain level um, of care with no mistakes. And unfortunately, that's just how a lot of people view a lot of different services. And so people, I think, are going to continue to respond negatively. And so I think having this integrated into the curriculum and kind of going into your training with like this mindset of, you know, self-talking and not shaming yourself and learning from guilt rather than shame and having these um, support systems and like avenues to talk through it and work through it is going to be really important because even if we change on our end, it doesn't mean that, yeah, the rest of the of the population is going to change what they expect or how they feel to our mistakes that we will inevitably make. I think, Morgan, that's such a good point. I think that's one thing that I think is a huge strength, Lucy, of your project is that you're not going out here saying we're going to change the way every attending talks to a med student. You're like, no, we're going to teach med students how to be mm -hmm. resilient, how to embrace vulnerability in these moments that are really hard to. And I think that's something that's really awesome about what you're what you've put together. Thank you. I think there's another component to it, though, isn't there? I mean, so whenever I hear um, so whenever I hear the word, you know, teaching resilience, mm. sometimes what I hear is sometimes what I think is, you know, that is um, it's the, the fault that the responsibility of the victim of something mm. to be resilient to being victimized. And could you I mean, could you see this as a. Uh, I don't know, like a CME activity for for <laughs> attendings and residents and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that would be interesting. 
Uh, that's actually, we talked about that. Um, Did you? So when we were trying to figure out, uh, Kate and I were going back and forth about, you know, like who is the target audience of this? Do we start at the student level? Do we go and kind of, you know, address like the root of the problem, if you were to say? And we do talk to more of like the attendings. Could we gear this towards residents? Like, actually, I think there's a lot of space for this at each level. And um, because, like we were saying before, all of these folks are experiencing shame. Um, and I think the more that the people who um, are, you know, are kind of teaching us how to be a doctor um, are able to model these behaviors and yeah. be aware of how they come about experiencing shame, um, you know, the, probably the less that they're going to be passing the shame, like the shaming behaviors down. Yeah. So uh, as you said before, and, and, you know, a couple of you have shared your experiences today, um, the uh, necessary component of your curriculum is relying on facilitators and others to share their experience uh, with shame, to be vulnerable. Are you worried about that at all? I, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, coming into this, I definitely was a little worried about uh, finding folks who are willing to share. I, I don't think we're going to have a problem finding med students. So there, there's a part of the curriculum that is where um, upper level third and fourth year medical students kind of share with first and second years or experiences. Um, and I don't think we're going to have a problem finding medical students who are willing to be vulnerable, um, just because I, I think in my experiences, I've found those folks as I've been through medical school and talking about this curriculum and looking for people who are going to pick this up and move forward with it after I leave. There are people who are interested. So I think that medical students are not going to be an issue. Um, I was a little more concerned about finding residents or attendings who I are interested and have time. Um, so I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge. But um, seeing how much interest there was from the administration, um, moving forward and, and the administration being a lot of docs themselves, I think there will be um, enough people who are willing to share their stories. Awesome. I think I just wanted to make sure uh, that we give credit where credit's due. So um, a lot of my curriculum, uh, kind of like the basis of it, thinking about large groups with people sharing and followed by small groups, um, comes from some work that Dr. Bynum at Duke University in North Carolina is doing. Um, and he's been working on this for a while now. Um, and kind of like did this curriculum and made it into um, a study um, and then looked at how students responded to it. And so it's, it's a little bit different than what I put together, um, but his results um, showed that students really appreciated the personal stories and the vulnerability of folks who are involved, um, thinking about what is shame versus guilt and the ability to like recognize and, and the willingness to reach out to others really increased after this curriculum. Um, and so that kind of when I, you know, we had this idea, but really wanted to think about how to implement it. Um, I really like dove into Dr. Bynum's work. And um, right now at Duke, they're putting together a series of videos that cover these topics um, that I think are going to be publicly available um, August of this year, pending mm -hmm. everything going well. Um, right. So hopefully those might be something that can also be um, part of the curriculum as well. Fantastic. Well, Lucy, I hope you stay with us because I've got a tough listener question for us to deal with today. Uh, an anonymous listener who I'll call Lertzog the Filthy uh, sent an email to theshortcoats at gmail.com to ask us about clinical experiences in the pandemic age. I want to emphasize I call him Lertzog the Filthy just because he didn't give me a name. He gave me the opportunity to choose a name <laughs> for him. Hello, Shortcoats, and thank you for such an enjoyable podcast. Due to many changes from COVID-19, Many applicants have experienced dramatic changes to their med school preparation plans. I personally plan to shadow every physician I could this year, 
with the hope of making a few good connections that would lead to a letter of recommendation or two. Due to the pandemic restrictions, none of this was able to occur. Do you have any recommendations on what I should do? Any advice on how to find shadowing opportunities when the world returns to its normal amount of crazy? Thank you! I... <laughs> I didn't understand all of that, actually. <laughs> okay, I'll recap. <laughs> I really love the thank you at the end. Sometimes my uh, voice synthesizer application makes strange choices. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, to recap, uh, Lertzog uh, is concerned about uh, his opportunities to get shadowing experiences and clinical experiences during this time when uh, basically even, you know, medical students are barred from, from uh, uh, you know, participating fully in clinical activities. Um, so I wondered if you had any, any thoughts about, he sounds nice, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a tough question because despite states reopening, a lot of people feel like it's a bit early even for that. And I think even healthcare organizations and doctors are probably going to be, uh, pretty cautious about letting people back in to do these kinds of activities. Um, any thoughts about, uh, what he might do? I have thoughts. Right. I mean, it's a valid concern, honestly, because um, kind of Dave and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, but the administration, even at Carver, um, was pretty much telling us for M1s going into our M2 year that a lot of those opportunities are going to be really lacking for us as well, just because a lot of our M2 and M3 students will need to make up a lot of their clinical times this summer. And so a lot of the doctors will be busy. Um, however, I do find like my, what I was planning on doing over the summer, I was supposed to do a medical outreach program and that's been canceled just because of COVID-19. And luckily I was able to just kind of, um, email around to some different doctors to see if they had any research projects. I know other people have mentioned, um, emailing doctors, just seeing if they would have any opportunities for like zoom meetings or those type of things. So. Um, honestly, I would, I would recommend getting your name out there, just introducing yourself to doctors, saying if they have any opportunities, you would love to get in on any of those. And that's as far as I guess that's the best thing you can do in this kind of situation. Yeah. I, I do have some questions about the question. Um, I'm worried, uh, Lertzog, that you, for some reason, didn't shadow until the last minute or something. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, if you're about to apply, but you haven't done any shadowing yet, uh, I'm not sure what you can do. Um, I think ideally shadowing and speak and, uh, you know, working up those letters of recommendation connections needs to be taking place for as long as possible and not confined to one period. I talked with Amy Ahern from admissions here and she says the shadowing is still important enough uh for the application process that you really have to find a way to do it before you apply same thing with letters of recommendations um we at carver college of medicine haven't changed that requirement yet um you know i think there are some things that schools are going to be prepared to be flexible on i mean i know uh for instance ccom does want applicants to get in touch if they won't be getting a letter grade so we can review those situations on a case-by-case -case basis um online labs for instance we've agreed that uh Online labs will meet our pre-med course requirements. Our MCAT deadlines of, are of necessity, subject to change as the 2020 testing schedule changes. Um, but there are two things that letters of recommendation and shadowing address that have always made those requirements, those particular requirements, hard and fast. They provide some reassurance that 
you know, you're not just intellectually fit for the calling, um, but that you are a person of integrity and thus worthy of being a part of it and that you fully understand. And the second is that you fully understand what it is you're getting into as a physician. So to the, to the extent that you can demonstrate those things, um, even in this time of uncertainty and, and difficulty in getting those, the, in making those connections, I think that's going to be um, key. You know, something uh, that Amy does a really nice job of emphasizing when she comes on the show is um, authenticity and also creativity. So I think in a lot of ways, the situation with the pandemic has rewritten the rules of mm-hmm. just about everything we do. Um, but med students have been really creative in finding ways to stay involved and to continue serving other people, even if it's not in like a direct medical way. So um, it may be too late for um, the caller for like this upcoming application cycle. Um, but maybe there's, I'm sure that there's some way that they can show service to others, even if it's not in a direct medical setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, they may, they may be doing that also. I I think, um, oh, Amy did have a good idea. Um, she's been suggesting as far as a shadowing supplement, I'm not going to say shadowing replacement because again, I'm not sure that that's possible. Um, but as a shadowing supplement for the, for the time being, um, do some, do some informational interviewing. So what I mean by that is, is something that you mentioned, Aline, basically get in touch with docs in various specialties. Uh, also Caitlin. Oh, I'm sorry. Caitlin. Caitlin had a great idea. Caitlin. Sorry. Uh, get in touch with docs in various specialties and ask for some time to talk with them via phone or virtually to ask them about their profession and about their specialty. Um, you know, if you do this, I, I, encourage you to not treat this like your usual zoom call you know wear pants um (laughs) uh, get out of bed um you know treat it like a professional activity Uh, figure out your goals for each individual discussion um, and ask questions based on those goals Uh, reach out early uh everyone you're trying to talk to as we've said is busy as hell so you know don't expect instant access um if you're going to do a virtual interview you know dress up um just as you would for your admissions interview. Um, all this to say is that you're you're sowing you're you know you're sowing a seed that may blossom into something in the future, and you never know when that's going to happen. Maybe they'll be so impressed with your discussion that eventually they will give you a sh- they will they will be happy to talk to you about shadowing opportunities in the future. Um, it could lead to a letter of recommendation. Blah 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 blah. Um, yeah. When you're done with your interview, figure out what you learned. Whether you have new questions now. And whether you're still interested in being a doctor, because that's the point of shadowing is to make sure that you understand what it is you're getting into and whether or not that's for you. Um, what else? Keep track of contacts, names, addresses, et cetera. I think that's reasonable. Send a thank you, the usual. Um, the good news in trying this method is that you're not limited to docs in your area, right? You can do this with anybody. Um, so if you're having trouble getting traction locally, uh, you know, reach out um, further. And, um, and remember that, and finally, I would say, remember schools and applicants are all in the same boat here. Uh, schools are worried about getting the info they need as much as applicants are worried about providing it. And everyone is trying to figure this out. Um, so start cultivating an attitude that embraces ambiguity because that mostly is what the world has to offer right now. <laughs> yeah, Any, I think that could be impactful. What's that? I just think that could be really impactful. And I think that um, shadowing for 
non-current medical students is becoming more and more restricted and harder to get, I think. So it might actually provide you the opportunity to see some specialties and talk to some people that you might not have been able to shadow mm-hmm. um, in the first place. So yeah, could be a positive yeah. supplement. Yep. All right. Uh, something I was going to add to what you were talking about, Dave, is um, something we've seen um, happening in the scientific community is a lot of institutions have now been opening up their seminars and talks and invited speakers to people from outside of those institutions. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, in a weird way, kind of go, to go off on a tangent, I think this is going to change in a really positive way the way science happens. It's really like the obstacle historically has been like not being able to go to a conference or to a meeting to be on site to hear a talk. But like there's um, a lot of people that are now like opening their discussions to people outside their institution, which is like creating a cool exchange of ideas. But anyway, speaking to your point, um, I wonder how beneficial it might be for applicants to see if they can like zoom into any grand rounds of hospitals or academic research centers. NIH has a lot of uh, good talks that are usually like posted online. Like it's open to non NIH employees. I'm pretty sure. And they have grand rounds out the wazoo just constantly um, from what I remember. Yeah. Like it's not shadowing and it's not an informational interview, but it is um, kind of a non-conventional way to get exposed to, you know, the conduct of medicine. Right. And as you said, um, you know, even though I think even here at Iowa, even though, um, you know, students aren't allowed to get those clinical experiences that they used to be able to get, there are still volunteer opportunities in the hospital um, that you can use to, if not get clinical experience, at least get exposure to um, the environment, um, the people, um, and, uh, you know, even if it's just screening patients as they enter the hospital, like we have here, um, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. Well, that is our show. Lucy Howard, thank you for visiting with us today. Tell us about uh, your uh, your shame and medical student identity curriculum. It was really nice to talk to you about it. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. And Aline, Caitlin, Morgan, Emerald, thank you for being my co-hosts today. You're Thanks so for having thank us. you guys. It was great. Thank you. And what kind of garbage person would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us part of your week? If you're new here today and you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else fine podcasts are available. I remind you that your questions are important to the show because they mean it can be what you want it to be about. Be like a uh, Lertzog. Is that what I call them? <laughs> Lertzog the filthy. Be like Lertzog the filthy. <laughs> Send your questions and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com. You can leave us a message at 347 short CT. We'll talk about it on the show. It doesn't even have to be about medicine. I will answer any question you want. That's how important this is. While your podcast app is open, we hope you'll be the kind of listener who we're always grateful for. Give us some stars and a review. Let us know if we're doing this right. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government. An ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. 